John Luther represents a unique blend of many characteristics common to birders. Where some in the birding community lean in one direction or another, John combines a deep commitment to the environment with that seemingly insatiable desire to chase and list. A record-holding county birder, John has seen more species of birds in all 58 counties in California than anyone else in history. Chasing birds is nothing new for John, having begun his hardcore chasing back in the 1960s. But John also has been an avid conservationist, college professor, and professional tour guide. He has traveled to all 50 states and some 25 countries in his pursuit of birds, many of these trips in which he led the tour or served as a naturalist. John is a life member of Western Field Ornithologists, Point Blue, formerly known as Point Reyes Bird Observatory, the Nature Conservancy, and the Sierra Club. He was the founder and past president of a local Audubon Society and is an elective member of the American Birding Association. He has served on multiple boards and committees over the years. It's my pleasure to welcome John Luther to the Voices of Birding History. Well, when and where did you first start birding? Well, I can't tell you exactly, except that uh, my family camped all the time, all over the West, especially, you know, Yellowstone and Yosemite and Lake Tahoe. And as a lot of bird watchers, at least in the older days, we were really mammal watchers. We liked to look at mammals. When was but this? most mammals are nocturnal, <laughs> so you can't see a whole lot of them. So a lot of us got into bird watching because they're more diurnal, except for the owls, of course. So we started looking at birds. And so this was sometime in high school. I remember the first two birds that I actually wrote down was an osprey and a dipper, now called an oozle, but it or was called an oozle, now called a dipper. Uh, and this is, uh, so this is uh, quite a while ago, probably in 1959, 1960, something like that, up in Montana, actually, is where it was when I wrote these two down. At least that's the first record I have of writing things down. So those I was in two, high school cool still at birds. that time. Sure. Yeah, so I, those birds really got me excited. Uh, I can still picture that uh, oozle, that dipper, I like yeah. the word oozle, but different. <laughs> walking around the edge of a of a lake up in Montana, and then watching the osprey dive into the same lake was pretty exciting. So they really kind of got me hooked and had me started writing down things about birds and birds as I was observing them. But camping is what really got me into it. Sure. Yeah, I had one friend in high school who birded. So often when I went birding, I told friends I was going fishing because that was still. You know, that was macho, and that was okay. That was the thing guys did. But birding kind of wasn't back at that yeah, point. In time. It was little old ladies in tennis shoes, you know, were the ones who birded, not guys in high school who played sports and did all the other stuff. So this one friend of mine and I birded. Ross Wagner was his name. He went on in geology and not birds. But, yeah, so we birded in high school. We'd ride our bikes from Castor Valley. This is in Castor Valley where I went to high school. Uh, we'd ride our bikes over to... Uh, Oh, where'd we go? What's now called Arrowhead Marshall, although it really wasn't like that then, but that area uh, sure. in Alameda, we could ride our bikes over there. Yeah, and, and so there were some nice marshy areas and water birds over there that we didn't have in Castro Valley. And then eventually, of course, we got to be able to drive so we could go to Marin County and look at things uh, over there a little bit. And then just continued on birding then and then went to college in, in Wisconsin at Beloit College. One of the reasons I went there is the guy who taught ornithology was Dr. Welty. And, uh, in fact, he just wrote a book at that time, uh, kind of a textbook for ornithology. So I took mm. that in that class and, and just kept bird watching there. And then came back, when we came back to California, really got into it more intensely in terms of chasing birds all over the state. 
and then eventually all over the world, but mostly chasing in the in the state of California. So and that's the, kind of a, a brief history of <laughs> how sure, I got to no. this point. Yeah, and the uh, chasing, you know, the chasing is such an interesting uh, dynamic. I know you're still doing it to this day. What was there about the chase that caught your imagination? Oh, I think it's the listing aspect of it uh, is part of it. You know, it just, uh, you know, like a lot of little kids, I, you know, I collected matchbooks and coins and I still have coin collections and, you know, all those kind of things that you collect. And that's kind of a listing sort of thing. You can, you know, see how many you can get or which right. dates you can get or can you get all the dates on certain coins and all that sort of thing. So with, with birds, that was an aspect of it to see, you know, whether you can see a rare bird or just see a bird someplace you haven't seen it before. And so that, and then, of course, the other thing was, like with the dipper and the osprey, is just the beauty of the birds and watching the natural history of what they're doing. And that's why I ended up, when I came back after Boyd College, I went to uh, Cal State Hayward. And and the reason I did that is I was going to go to Colorado State, actually, to graduate school, but found out that Dr. Howard Codswell, who taught at Mills College when I was going to high school, and I did some bird watching trips with him because my sister went to Mills and knew him. So I did some Golden Gate Audubon trips with him. And then when I found out, when I came back to work in the summer here after graduating from Beloit College, that he was at Hayward and he offered me a, you know, a job and he offered me kind of a scholarship or money off my, my tuition, which I needed at that point. So I decided, okay, I'm going to skip scholar, Colorado State, which of course had out-of-state tuition and Cal State Hayward didn't for me because I was a California resident. So I ended up going to school there and working with him and working on shorebirds and doing research on shorebirds in San Francisco Bay down mostly by the San Mateo Bridge. So that was kind of my official background was then getting a master's degree under him working on shorebirds in the Bay Area. You know, when you uh, launched into all of this research, I'm sure you were still chasing birds and, and getting familiar with the birding community. Tell, tell me a little bit about the birding community. What was it like? What was happening in the birding world? How were you uh, becoming familiarized with other people? Well, from Howard Cogswell, I knew. We had a friend, Roseanne Rowlett, who then started Field Guides Incorporated. I don't know if you're familiar with their, sure. yeah. they lead trips all over the world. And she and some other friends who were working for Victory Manual broke off from Victory Manual and started their own company, kind of as a co-op in terms of the leaders anyway. Uh, and she was from Texas, but really into the birds out here while she was going to school also out here. And then we then met Rich Stalkoff, who I'd actually met once in high school, uh, but didn't really get to know well till about this time when I was working on my degree. And so we just started going on trips to Death Valley and other places in California and just got tied up in the whole birding world. And about that time, uh, California field ornithologists got established, which then became Western WFO, Western field ornithologists. And I got really involved with them. As I think on you saw on my list, I you know was president and board member and did all kinds of uh, organized things with them. But all the birders in California were kind of a part of that whole thing. And so uh, we'd have board meetings in Death Valley. Of course, the reason was we could also look at birds while we were there. <laughs> so we'd pick nice places like that. And so through that, just got really associated with people in Southern California, as well as people like Rich Stelkup up here in Northern California, and then just started doing trips together. You know, three, four, five, six or eight of us from Northern California would go to Death Valley and meet up with four to 10 people from Southern California and bird for three days on a three-day weekend, like Memorial Weekend. It's really good for rare birds and 
Death Valley. And so just getting to know more of these people and keeping in contact uh, with them all the time about rare birds. Because at that point, of course, there was no internet and no bird hotline. So we just had to call each other when there was a rare bird. You got a call from somebody and then you called five other people and they called five other people. And that's how the word got out, which is very different from today, of course. I'm curious, you know, you were, you were a researcher, you're getting your master's in that area. Uh, I'm sure a lot of other people, you know, had completely different professions. When, when you think about those days and the, the community that was developing, were there some aspects of it that people kind of had a certain type of bent or were they kind of across the spectrum? In other words, were there some, you know, people that were completely into conservation? Um, you know, obviously it was a period of time where, when there was a little bit of a countercultural movement going on. Uh, what was your sense there, of that? Well, there was, there was a variety. There certainly were some that were very into conservation. And at that time, uh, when Mono Lake Committee got started by all, a lot, some of the people working at PRBO, and some of the people that were just interested in Mono Lake and its biology and saving sure. it. Uh, this is especially true of, it seemed to me, and this is a oversimplification perhaps, but Northern California birders seem to be more into that, and the Southern Californias did not seem to be quite as much, but there are certainly lots of exceptions to that. But in general, we had that feeling, and but a variety of people in terms of engineers and, you know, more politicians and more people really involved with their local autobahns and other people could care less and just wanted to go birding. Sure. Uh, so a tremendous variety of people. And some of them, you know, had PhDs in ornithology and still were, you know, chasing the birds and into that aspect as well. Right. And others didn't do anything with research, but we're still interested in documenting, you know, the spread of some of these birds and finding different species, different places. So they, yeah. even though they weren't official researchers per se, they often ended up uh, writing articles on distribution of birds, like Guy McCaskey, who's an engineer in Southern California, certainly didn't have a background as a biologist per se, but wrote many, many, many articles about distribution of birds in California. Then others were like Lori Binford, who had a PhD and was curator of birds at Cal Academy in San Francisco, but loved chase birds and looked for rare birds as well. You know, so the kind of the whole spectrum of those who are right. really into the academic end of it and those who were not. And some people just locally looked at birds and didn't chase all over the state or the country in a wild way. Well, one of the things you mentioned earlier was the uh, concept that people had of the little old lady. You right. Know, <laughs> uh, you know, looking at birds. And when you get involved in that community, it's anything but. I mean, these are people that are willing to get up uh, crazy hours, uh, you know, tromp through all kinds of terrain, uh, indoor weather conditions. um, You know, there tend to be very, very rugged uh, individuals to some degree. Oh, yeah, that was part of it. You know, getting up, you know, when we go to Death Valley, you know, we'd leave after work on a maybe Friday afternoon, having a three-day weekend, and we'd drive all night to get there. And then we'd bird all day and often drive at night to look for reptiles, especially those, again, from Northern California, this hold, seemed to hold true more. But we wanted to you know, look for snakes and stuff at night. And so we often didn't get very much sleep. And then, of course, we had to drive home Monday night to be home for work Tuesday morning after a three-day weekend. So it was a pretty exhausting thing. Sometimes we'll do that two weekends in a row in the sure. spring or the fall is another time. But, but you're right, also in terms of weather conditions and you know, going up to Honey Lake and Lassen County in the winter because that's when long spurs often showed up and different kinds of hawks would come down. So certainly endured a lot of uh, 
a lot of strange weather conditions that other people would not not think about going out when I was doing research out in the mud flats and tromped around in the mud and all that kind of stuff at very strange hours. Yeah. Right. And still do that. You know, I still, you know, although it's getting a little bit harder maybe at times, but I still get up at two in the morning and drive to Southern California or something. There are certain times you don't want to go into LA and other times are just fine. Absolutely. And you can fly yeah. through. So you have to yeah. time your leaving here to get there at the right time. Uh, or get place where a bird is singing early in the morning or something like that can be an issue too. Well, tell us about what birding has led to in your life. It's a uh, pretty interesting story when you think about what you have done in your own life. Talk about the birding theme that has run through all of that. Well, kind of everything that I've done, even in terms of teaching, because after I graduated with my master's from uh, Hayward, I got a teaching job at Merritt College in Oakland for two years and then went to College of Alameda, which is the same throughout the community college district. Alameda was opening up a new college, so it was kind of a new opportunity to do classes and start doing it the way I wanted to do it. And that was in 1970? Um, that, that, sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah, because I, yeah, I graduated in 68, so that would have been 1970, right, when I went there. And so from there, developed long different kinds of classes. My main job was, of course, to teach general biology, introduction to biology, those kinds of basic classes that all the students had to take, especially after I, I found a, a friend of mine who I grew up with in the fourth grade and known all through high school was willing to come uh, and teach there too. He'd gone to Cal State Hayward. And so we both liked natural history and outdoors. So we developed a lot of short-term classes. So even though Kind of the bread and butter classes were the general biology classes, taught a lot of short natural history classes, sometimes for a weekend or a, maybe a week, you know, spring break. I would take a group of students to the Mojave Desert for a week. And so, although it wasn't just birds, that was kind of what got me into it, but it was flowers and reptiles and geology and everything else we tried to bring across as general natural history tours. And that kind of turned into trips that I also led then for other other groups like uh, Salmon River uh, float trips and Rogue River trips and co-leading probably 20 or well, over 20 class uh, trips to Alaska as a natural history person, not just a bird watcher. A lot of trips go as bird watching trips. And those are great in terms of seeing lots of birds, but sometimes they're a little bit frustrating too because the people get so intent on seeing every single bird. I like being a general naturalist on those trips. And so you kind of talk about everything and look at everything, and, and that's a lot of fun. To me, that's even more fun than just doing birds, at least on a trip like that. And if I'm going on a bird watching trip, to also look at all those other things. And that led to trips sure. all over the world in terms of looking at birds in particular, but general natural history is what I tried to teach to everybody. So it's a professional theme for you. It's obviously something you did for a living. Yeah, right. So that was my living was teaching. And even the, you know, the trips I led to Alaska or Australia were all paid and pay very well, but at least you're your room and board and a little bit of and transportation was paid for. And then you had a great time with people that were really interested or they wouldn't pay to go on these trips. So that always worked well. You've been to some 25 countries I see here looking at your bio. And I also see that you are a life member of, let's see here, Western Field Ornithologists and Point Reyes Bird Observatory. Uh, Nature Conservancy, Sierra Club, plus, uh, you know, you've been involved with the Audubon Society and the American Birding Association and local park districts. How did all that develop? Oh, just from my interest in, in conservation, I guess, is more where that developed. Although some of them, like 
Point Reyes Bird Observatory was more directed to birds, although they've expanded that a little bit to other things. But the other ones were just general natural history and conservation uh, of land and areas that I think are very important because, of course, they're important to the birds. And that's how you kind of get there is you you start getting worried about the birds and what's happening in terms of the environment uh, now. And it's getting even worse right now in the United States. It's just a real battle to try to preserve anything. There's a real urge right now, at least from the White House and those in D.C., to destroy much of what has been accomplished in the last 20 to 30 to 40 years, actually. And it's not a Republican-Democrat thing. Republican presidents in the past have done a lot of wonderful conservation things, too. But right now, there's just it's a a full-front attack, Uh, you know, using more pesticides, getting rid of some national monuments and even national parks being opened up and things like that. So it's gotten to be even more of a struggle. But these groups that I'm a member of are all into conserving land, especially like Nature Conservancy, who's really into buying land and trying to preserve it themselves because they're worried about the other agencies that might not do that very well. So it's really a, a matter of conserving lands, which, of course, are important for the birds. So the birds are still a theme that comes back. Important to other animals as well, besides birds, of course. But that's where it all kind of comes from, is trying to preserve things for future generations. And when you think about the explosion of birding, the amount of people today that have high-end optics and are very committed to putting their data into eBird and so on, and you think about the development and history of birding from that conservation point of view, do you think there's been a shift over time? You know, I'm not really sure of that. I I think there are a lot of people who are birders who could care less about conservation. I don't know very many of them, but I see that from some of the reports and, and things I read, that they're more interested into the list, and that's what eBird, I think, is mostly about, although they try to make it sound like a big research tool. There's so much misinformation in eBird that it scares me, <laughs> but they think that's not a problem, and maybe it's not. Maybe I just get overly worried about it when I see misinformation out there. But people just, you know, don't identify things correctly and put the wrong things down or put the wrong places down, and so that worries me a little bit. But there still is a really strong group of conservationists, and a lot of the conservation, of course, even Audubon Society members are not really birders at all. In fact, that's been one of the problems with a lot of people see with National Audubon Society is that they they don't seem to have as much of a bird theme as they used to. And that's okay. I mean, they're still a conservation organization, and and that's all good. But I think a lot of the birders are not into the conservation as much as they used to be. But they're also, I should also mention, there used to be that divide, too, in the past. There were a lot of birders who didn't at least didn't work at conservation. They were concerned about it a little bit, but that wasn't a high priority for them. It was seeing the birds. And that's still true. So I don't know if it's really shifted much in terms of, you know, percentages one way or the other. I I don't really have a handle on that because there always were the two sides of it. Some were really concerned about conservation. Others who were more concerned about seeing the birds and conservation wasn't a real major issue for them. Well, you've been birding now for, what, 50, 60 years. What do you think have been the biggest changes as you've seen the development of the birding community? In terms of technical changes, certainly the optics and the photography have been really big, uh, big issues. Yes. I mean, everybody out there gets fantastic photographs these days. I stopped photographing birds probably 10 years ago or more, especially when I stopped teaching. I wasn't going to use my photographs for uh, teaching anymore, so I didn't see much sense in having them. If I want to get a photograph, I can go to the Internet and get a photograph of any bird <laughs> anywhere in the world, basically. And it's going to be better than ones I'm going to take. 
but people are really into that now. In fact, a lot of lot of people don't want to believe your bird sightings unless unless you have a good photograph of them. Uh, I know it's just gotten so commonplace, and I just don't want to carry a camera around to do that. So that's a that certainly is a huge change. Is the excellence of the optics, both scopes and I mean, when I started birding, nobody had a scope or very few did anyway, and they weren't very good by today's standards. Except now, a lot of birders don't take a scope; they take their camera. Yeah. and their binoculars, and so they don't carry scopes as much as they did, say, 10 years ago. They want to look through your scope, though, when you see a bird, even though they don't want to bother to carry. And I don't blame them. I mean, it's a heavy thing to carry around all the time, especially if you're walking a mile or two. Who have been, from your perspective, some of the more influential thought leaders, whether they intended it or not, people that have contributed to the birding community? Well, sir, I guess we'd have to go back originally to not necessarily, well, they are birders, but more researcher or ornithology professors like Carl Welty at Beloit College and Howard Cogswell at Cal State Hayward. I wouldn't call either one a fanatic lister birder, but they were fantastic bird watchers. I mean, they had great ears. They could hear the birds. They knew the bird songs, especially locally. So they they certainly had tremendous influence in terms of where I am now. Hmm. And then other birders in terms of their I don't know, I guess I would say feeling for the birds, like Rich Stalkup had a great feeling or empathy, I guess people would call it, or connection to birds, which certainly translated and gave you that, or gave me anyway, that connection to the birds themselves rather than just a you know listing and a check on a piece of paper as compared to some people who that is what they're birding for is, is doing that. So those certainly are tremendous influence. Those are three people I can think of right offhand that Sure. have had great influence on what I do and how I do it, I guess I would say, too. Especially Rich in terms of, you know, more of a feeling for the bird and not, although he was the consummate lister. I mean, he would list everything and write everything down, that's for sure, but had a different kind of attitude towards the birds and the habitats and the places where they were. John, tell me, since you were still involved in the birding community, but thinking back on all those years as an instructor, a college professor, a tour guide, a board member, what do you think has really been the most fulfilling aspect of all that? Oh boy, uh, that's a really good question. In terms of teaching, certainly getting other people excited about it. Sure. And that would be the same thing on the natural history trips, whether they're to Alaska or Switzerland or Australia that I've led for different groups, uh, is getting people excited about the natural history, but also the bird aspect of it, because they're often into general natural history and not birds per se. And they, they don't necessarily get to become avid birders, but they at least recognize the birds as something that is a major force out there in the part of the natural history, which they weren't quite aware of before. So that's that's certainly fun from a, a teaching standpoint. Sure. From a more personal standpoint, probably having, you know, my son getting really involved in it, uh, which he was, of course, since he was a baby, going to his first Christmas bird count in Texas when he was six months old. Not that he remembers much about it, I'm sure, <laughs> but, but he's been doing it kind of forever. And so seeing him, and you never know what kids are going to do. You know, I have bird watchers whose kids swear off birds and will never have anything to do with them because they were drug around all over the place. But with David, you know, when we go to look at birds in Death Valley, David and I would kind of hang out and look for lizards and snakes and other stuff uh, while sometimes other people were looking at birds. So he got a good general background. And, and that's, to me really important. So to see him continue on into it and now grandson getting into it some too. So that's from a personal Very real fulfilling. satisfactory thing to be able to see. And who knows, you know, what they'll continue on. Well, my son's continuing. He's got a PhD in working with birds in the Amazon, but grandson, who knows where he'll end up being. You just don't know what, you know, it's so hard to predict that, that kind of stuff. 
and uh, they often go away from it, and then they come back, too. So at least if they get a good background. And that's what you kind of see with the general education aspect of it is kids in college that I taught, who knows if any of them are even looking at birds now, but there may be one or two that really got into it and others that maybe just have a more general appreciation for natural history and, and conservation, hopefully. Is there something that you're particularly proud of, your contribution to the birding community? Uh, oh, boy, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about anything in particular that I'm proud of. I guess just keeping other people involved, although I don't get out with as many other people as I used to. They're, you know, more select group of friends that I tend to go places with. But just being involved with groups in general and seeing how well Western Field Ornithologists is doing. I don't know if it's growing too much, but it certainly stayed as a as a major force in the West in terms of the papers that it's producing and things like that. And the Central Valley Bird Club is kind of the same way getting more people involved and having, you know, both of them have youth scholarships. So they try to get uh, young kids going to camps and getting involved. Just leading lots of trips as a naturalist, uh, not necessarily as a birder, but naturalist. And, and then from a personal satisfaction, just, you know, seeing lots of birds. County birding is kind of my passion right now in California, seeing birds in all 58 counties and amassing lists in all those counties and first person to get over 225 in every county and now trying to get 250, which I probably will never do, but I've got <laughs> 56 and 58, I have 250. Oh my uh, gosh. That's just Sutter and, Sutter and Trinity County are really tough ones. They're both in the 240s, but it's just so hard to get new birds in those counties. But it's fun. It's just a, a challenge. So that's that's satisfying on a very personal level sure. that, you know, most people don't care about. But for me, that's kind of uh, yeah. an important personal thing to to do. Well, that's a tremendous mark that I don't know that many people will uh, be able to accomplish, uh, John. That- well. Yeah, most people won't try, but that's okay. I mean, a lot of people get into their own county, and that's really important. And uh, again, conservation along the way becomes really important, too. So that's always a good, good part of that aspect. Well, thank you, John, very yeah. much for your time on the phone and for sharing a bit about your own life and the history of birding. It's been great to listen to your story. Sure. It's been fun.